Do you want to hear something really exciting? I'll take that as a... (laughs) Okay. Um, All right, I'll tell you something else. No, I'll tell you something really exciting. God wants to take you to the next amazing step in your life. Are you excited about that? I mean, in spite of the fact that you might have obstacles and challenges, our great God always wants to take you to the next exciting step he has for you. Because our God is a purposeful God. He knows the plans that he has for you. The plans to prosper you. The plans to move you forward. As Israel stood on the other side of the Jordan, that wasn't the end of the journey. That was one exciting step toward the next amazing and exciting steps that God has for them. We're told in the New Testament, and reminded in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, that God himself, who, uh, who brought us into his family, uh, intends to complete the good work that he begun unto completion into the day of Christ Jesus. So the question that I have for you this morning is, are you being taken to the next level of your life in Christ? I want you to open up your Bibles with me this morning to Joshua chapter 5. Joshua chapter 5. We know that that God does amazing things through his people. And at the end of Joshua 4, he kind of gives us an insight as to why he does amazing things through us. At the very end of the chapter in Joshua chapter 4, it says this. He did this, which was the Jordan experience. He does this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful. But that's not all. And so that you might always fear the Lord your God. Why is God moving you always forward to the next amazing and exciting step of your life? Is because he wants to demonstrate through your life the amazing power of God so that people outside of faith will look at your life and say, wow, isn't God amazing? He's a powerful and amazing God who can do amazing things. But not only that, he wants to take you step by step through each challenge over each obstacle that you might learn to always fear the Lord your God. That's his overriding plan and purpose, that he might be glorified over all things. Now, Jordan, the River Jordan crossing was one thing, but as these, this nation of Israel stood on the other side of the Jordan River, uh, whipping Jericho and moving into the promised land, seizing the promised land, uh, was quite another thing. Uh, the promised land, of course, was the place of the failure of their parents. It was a reminder constantly to that generation of faithlessness. The question that sat before them was were they going to continue to allow their lives to be defined by the failures of the past, the faithlessness of the past, or seize the opportunity that was set before them and is set before all of God's people to move forward to the next amazing step that he has for you in your life. I think in our world, the people around us, for the most part, in kinds of psychology talk shows you watch and all of that and the troubled people around us. For the most part, most people are defined, boxed in, hemmed in by the failures of of their past. 
That's the last thing that God wants for his people. He does not want us to be defined by our faithless past or the failures of our past. He wants us to be defined by his power and greatness. He wants us to seize the next, the next step of the journey. And so this morning, I want to show you in chapter 5, as we move through the conquest of the promised land, that there's some preparatory work that goes into this whole idea of the next steps of our life. And I recommend a kind of readiness and willingness to always be a part of your life. Believing that God has a next step for you. I also believe in a room like this that there are plenty of obstacles and challenges that are represented here. You say, I've been uh, sort of bumping up against that challenge, that particular obstacle for a long time. In fact, um, I would like to believe that there's a next step, a next amazing step, but I feel like I've been in kind of a, a place where I haven't been gaining traction for a long time. I'm telling you that there's a preparatory kind of thing that takes place in our lives. Various time spans. But I want you to note that in this particular story, chapter 5, gives us some preparation realities. So what does the next level of preparation look like? If your Bibles are open, and I think they are, Joshua chapter 5. Now, when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until we had crossed over, their hearts melted. And they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. This is sort of written like a letter. I, I like the way this is written. It's as if, it's as if Joshua is writing his memoirs. And um, he's making the point that... Uh, do you remember what I said just a little bit before where I said that God did all of this so that the, world, the nations around would notice the power of God? Well, guess what? It was working. They were noticing the power of God. All the Amorite kings and all the Canaanite kings along the coast, they'd heard of the amazing and great things that God was doing through his people... And they were, they were terrified of, their hearts had melted. They no longer had courage to face the, the march of God. It's kind of um, frustrating, I think, at times when people outside of faith recognize more about the power of God than people inside of the family of God. So the, the second part is really where we're heading this morning. We already know that the, uh, the people outside of faith were recognizing the power of God. We read a little farther and we find out that Jericho was locked up tight. They were recognizing the power of God. The question on the table this morning is, are we, as God's people, recognizing the power of God so that we might fear Him only? That's the question that sits before us. That's what chapter 5 is starting to unfold for us. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gibeath Haraloth. Now, this is why he did so. All those who came out of Egypt, all the men of military age, died in the desert on the way after leaving Egypt. All the people that came out had been circumcised by all the people born in the desert during the journey from Egypt. But, but all the people from in the desert, born in the desert during the journey from Egypt, had not. The Israelites had moved about in the desert 40 years until all the men who were of military age when they left Egypt had died, since they had not obeyed in, in literally the voice of the Lord. 
For the Lord had sworn to them that they would not see the land he had solemnly promised their fathers to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So he raised up their sons in their place. If we will not be faithful to God, God will raise up others who will. And these were the ones Joshua circumcised. They were still uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. And after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in camp until they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the place has been called Gilgal to this day. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate of the produce of Canaan. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? He replied, No. Now I know your translations say neither, but he said no. And I'll explain that a little bit later. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have, come, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? That's an important question. That's a question that we should wake up every day and ask our great God. The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. This is God's word. Our Father, for these few moments as we revisit the memoirs of Joshua, thank you for its application to our own lives. Lord, we recognize that in the same way that you moved God's people in historically in, in the Israel stories, is your intention today. For he who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. We recognize that you are a a God who intends for our lives to make a mark, to make a difference. Not for our sakes, but for your great name's sake. That all the people around might recognize the power of God. And that we, the people of God, might always fear the Lord. I do pray, Father, that that might be our vision. We might be a church. That people look at and see the power of God. We might be a church that always fears the Lord and Him alone. That we might be a church that is always asking the question, What is it? What message does my Lord have for his servants this day? We're listening, Lord. Please teach us. Tell us what you want. May we hear the voice of the Lord and act upon it, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to map this out a little bit with you this morning by suggesting that Joshua begins his memoir by by telling us that the preparatory work means that you have to leave some things behind. Before you can take the next amazing steps that God has for you, there are certain things that you have to 
leave behind. And in um, Joshua 5, verse 2, the order goes out from God to Joshua to circumcise the Israelites. Because they um, had, be, this was the next generation of, of men who had come out of, uh, um, had been born in the desert. And the people who had come out of Egypt had been circumcised, but these people had not. Now, I want to stop for a moment and, and, and uh, express to you what circumcision was and what it was not. So we get an understanding of how we can sort of transfer this into an application of, of our own time. Circumcision was a sign, it was a, a symbol, it was a ceremony and a ritual that had a purpose. It was a symbol of um, covenantal loyalty of God to his people. It was to be to them a sign that they would always remember that God was the one who had promised them the land and he would not rescind his promise, he would not take it back because he had made a covenant with them. And that he would always be responsible for providing for them offspring. He would be the one who they could depend on for fertility. Because all the the nations around them had had various gods that they relied on to, to cause them not only to be humanly fertile, but cause the land to be fertile. And God gave them this sign that was to remind them of his covenant promise to them that he would bring them to the land... And that he would always provide for them. He said to Abraham, Abraham, your offspring will be as numerous as the, 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 uh, the sand, kernels of sand or grains of sand on the seashore, I guess they're called. And as numerous as the stars in the heavens. Now this is a sign, this will be a sign to you. And a reminder to you that, that I will fulfill my covenant with you. But it was a ceremony. It was a ritual. It, it couldn't earn favor with God. In fact, um, it's significant that God waited until they had crossed the Jordan River before he said to Joshua, I want you to circumcise the men. God had, by his grace, faithfully taken them on the next steps of the journey, disconnecting it from any earned favor. It wasn't because they had made some sort of physical or external activity that God was acting on their behalf. This was to remind them that they were in covenant relationship with God and that they should remain loyal to Him. And the ceremony and the ritual was merely a sign of that. If the sign or the symbol could earn favor or cause faithfulness, they wouldn't have been in the fix that they were presently in. Because the previous generation had been circumcised and they had been faithless. How would, I bring this, how would I bring this into a New Testament context? We have rituals and ceremonies. I would suggest to you that the, the first question that sort of pops out of this, because it's possible for us to be relying on ceremony and ritual rather than on what the ceremony and ritual is to point to. I would suggest to you that it's possible for a a New Testament community like ours to be stuck in church rather than being loyal to Christ. You see, a lot of people are are, are assuming that that the next steps that are waiting for them and in terms of the next amazing steps that God has for them are are based upon their attendance at church. Well, I I go to church. I, I, I practice certain ceremony and certain ritual. Ceremony and ritual does not guarantee faithfulness. 
You see, the, the point that was being made to Joshua is the ancestors who uh, were practicing the signs and the rituals were not listening to the voice of God. That's why they are not going to be allowed to go into the promised land. They had the sign of the covenant. They had the symbols and ceremony of loyalty. But they didn't listen to the voice of God. It's possible for us to come week by week and, and say, well, I, I hang out at church. Hanging out at church is not going to take you to the next amazing step that God has for you. The, the, the ceremony of hanging out at church, which, by the way, is a good thing to do, is that we might point each other to the voice of God. If, if you don't take from your attendance at ceremony and whatever ritual we have, and you don't move that into the place of application of loyalty to the very reason that you've come in the first place, you've, you've missed the point. That has to be left behind. That's why um, it says a little later in the text that by doing this, the reproach of Egypt has been rolled away. What was the reproach of Egypt? Well, regularly through the wilderness wandering, if you're tracking the history of Israel you will encounter them grumbling toward God. Grumbling toward Moses and ultimately God, saying, I wish we could go back to Egypt. Oh, if we could only go back to Egypt. Because we'd rather go back and serve in Egypt than be set free with all the challenges that set, are set before us. Those were disloyal statements. God was moving them by his voice into the promised land. God is challenging them all over again. Are you going to be like your parents? You know, on top of the ritual and ceremony, but not implicitly listening to the voice of the Lord. That's the question that sits before us. You just stuck in church? Or are you loyal to Christ? There's a big difference. Ceremony and ritual doesn't earn rights or guarantee faithfulness. Loyalty to the voice of the Lord is what God looks for. Did you notice as we were reading through the memoirs, secondly? Now, they were constantly also, not only did they want to go back to Egypt for safety and security, but they wanted to go back to Egypt because they were afraid they were going to starve. Uh, regularly, between the... Uh, the books of Exodus right through to Deuteronomy and ultimately to Joshua, they were constantly worried about what they were going to eat. Oh, if we could only go back to Egypt where we enjoyed a buffet every day. There was a free-for-all smorgasbord. After, we sla after slave labor every day, they laid out a buffet for us and welcomed us to the table. Come on, yeah, right. Always wanting to go back, worried about what, what they were going to eat. Notice what it says in the text, that after they celebrated Passover... It says they ate of the produce of the land, the land of Canaan. And it says, after they ate of the produce of the land, the very next day, the manna stopped. Now, why did the manna stop? Remember I said that um, in your preparation, some things have to be left behind? You've got to leave behind your dependence upon ritual and ceremony and be loyal to Christ, loyal to God. You've got to leave behind... In this case, they had to leave behind manna. If you remember, the whole manna episode 
was following a, another grumbling session where they were complaining that they weren't having their buffet from Egypt. And, and so God um, said that he would send them food from heaven. For the purpose, it says in Exodus chapter 16, to test them. To see if they would obey him. He's going to give them specific instructions about how they were to handle this food from heaven, this buffet, the delicacies from the supermarket of heaven that was going to come every day and be there for them. It was a time where they were being challenged by their immature faith, not depending on God, as if the, the God of the universe, the creator of all things, had dragged them out of Egypt, rescued them out of captivity, and had taken them out into the wilderness, and he didn't have a plan for how to feed them and keep them alive. That's what they were implying. The God who took us out here can't take care of us. Do you know what kind of an insult that was to God? It's an incredible insult. And so for a number of reasons, they wandered around for 40 years being fed as a symbol of their immature faith. Hand out from God. Because unless they could see it with their eyes, they weren't sure God could look after them. Well, how can I illustrate this? God wanted to take them to the next level of trust. You, next levels always require next level of trust. If, you're gonna, if God's going to do something great in your life, he's got to take you somewhere uh, to another level of trust. So there's no more manna. I'll illustrate it this way. In my house... Um, there's Lynn and myself and there's a collection of offspring who visit uh, at various times. Some, in fact, at least one is a permanent fixture at this point living there. And my fridge is like a free-for-all. They come and they go and they eat whatever they want and it's just there for them. They don't really have to rely on on the Lord to look after them and take care of them because my fridge does that. I got to tell you that this coming and this going and this one that still lives there all the time is getting really old. My free-for-all fridge thing was good up to a point when they were little munchkins and only ate like a bowl of jello. But now... They need to start relying on God themselves. They need to, they need to know what it is to, to go out there and, and, and be concerned about what God is going to provide and, and, and rely on Him and pray to Him and, and trust in Him. Lord, provide something so the freeloaders in my life will have something to eat. They need to know what it is to go out and trust God to live off the produce of the land that their own hands have prepared. You with me? I believe that's where God, that's the point that God has come to in this next step of their journey. I want to take, God's taken them into a place where, where they have to take another level of trust. Not every day is going to rain down food, folks. Okay? You're going to have to go out there and, and, and trust that I'm going to provide for you and that the produce of the land, the promised land that, I, that, I, that you said was filled with milk and honey, that you, you agreed, I, I want you to go there and I want you to take that land. I want you to taste of some of the delicacies of that land already in advance. But no more supermarket 
raining down from heaven. You're going to have to depend on the produce of the land that God is going to take care of you. And by the way, when there's no more manna, there's no more going back. Putting a new combination on that fridge door, Lynn. (laughs) Combination that nobody knows except for you and I. There's no going back. That's what God is doing here. He's, He's like... That's it. I'm not raining. You can't go back into the wilderness. You've got to keep going forward. You've got to depend on the produce of the land that I'm going to give you. Those are important things in preparation for what God is doing in your life. What, what is he, what's the next step with you? What, maybe, there's, maybe you've been relying on a sort of an immature faith level in your life. Relying on certain... Acts of the flesh when he wants you to rely on the power and presence of the Spirit. Handouts are over. Just then, basically, the memoirs continue. That's how I would translate verse 13. It says, now, it's it's an emphatic now, just then. Joshua, and I think you'd agree with me, he's near Jericho and he looks up and he sees a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. That's a very surprising and amazing and shocking thing in, uh, along the journey, don't you think? Has that ever happened to you? You're walking along one day and bang, right in front of you, there's a man standing there with a sword drawn. Anybody seen that? So that would, that would qualify as one of those just then, wouldn't it? I think so. Just then... And he looks up, he sees the man standing in front of him, and Joshua goes up and he asks a question. And I, I, I understand why he would ask this question. Are you for us or our enemy? When you're going to battle, you want to know. Remember I said to you, the answer that he gives is not neither, but no. Really, the, the correct translation would be no, which doesn't seem to be an answer to the question. That's not what I asked you. I asked, are you for them or for us? And you answered no. The reason that the man standing in front of Joshua answers no is because he's, uh, he's actually demonstrating to Joshua that he's asking the wrong question. The question isn't whether or not I'm for you or for the enemy. The question you should be asking at this moment, Joshua, is... Who is standing in front of you? That's what you really need to know at this moment. You need to know who I am. Because that's how he answers the question. He says, As commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. You see how he answers the question? He's saying, "Uh, I'm not really one of you at all. I'm not like you, and I'm not like your enemy. I'm not one of you at all. Standing in front of you at this moment, Joshua, is the supreme camp commander of the army of the hosts of heaven. Joshua, you remember the uh, testimony of Rahab, whereby she said that, that everybody's nervous and afraid of the, the Lord because... Because your God is truly the God of the heavens and the earth? You remember that God? Okay. The one standing in front of you. 
I am him. I am the supreme commander of the most powerful army in all the universe. Joshua had arrived. He, had, he, he lifted up his face to look at Jericho and got a face full of God. That's what was happening here. He's saying, I, I'm the commander. I, you don't need to be afraid of Jericho. And by the way, Jericho was, um, was described as having walls that went to heaven. One of the things that the, um, the people were afraid of is when they came back they, in Numbers chapter 13 and 14, they, they brought back a report and they said, you're right, the land is flowing with milk and honey. But there are a lot of big people there and there are a lot of big cities there. And they're fortified cities. It was one of their, their faith lapses. It was one of their big fears, their phobias. And so um, as he stands there and gets in the way, in, in the sight line of their greatest fear, this fortified city, he says, look, do you understand who I am? You don't need to be afraid of what's behind me. You need to be you, you need to fear me. You need to, you need to put your eyes and fix your eyes on me. And, and by the way, Joshua, you thought you were leading this gig? You thought you were the leader? No, no, s- step aside. I'm the supreme commander of this, uh, 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 of this uh, mission. I'm the one, that, uh, I'm the one that's going to take you on this journey. And, and so literally he's saying to him, heaven stands ready, Joshua. Now, that goes for you as well. You know, when God's got you on a mission, moving you forward to the next amazing steps in your life, whatever obstacles and challenges that are there, Jesus is putting himself in between you and the obstacle and the challenge and saying to you, you're not in this by yourself. You're not going this alone. Heaven stands ready. He's got a drawn sword, it says in the text. How big and how mighty and how powerful do you think your challenge is, Joshua? The armies of heaven are enlisted in this project. Now, um, I don't know what your situation is, what your challenge, what your obstacle, what the next step for you would look like. But in terms of spiritual progress, if, if God is, is looking for you to, to, be con- to be able to conquer some sin or, or take a certain stand on something or, or maybe heal a relationship or, or listening to the voice of God, you realize that it's going to make some really, ra- going to require some really radical changes in your life that, that are going to be really challenging. Or if it's to lead some sort of mission or ministry. Or if we collectively are, he's advancing us in terms of risk or, or, or resources. He's making the point that, that heaven stands ready to go with you. The drawn sword suggests that um, you're going to fight for this cause. Now, by the way... This no, I am the commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. He's also saying to him, I, I'm not really 
fighting for you. You're fighting for me. That's so crucial. I mean, to to realize that in our lives is really, really critical. Because every battle, every challenge, every obstacle generally looks daunting. How am I going to do this? When, when, this is by way of pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. When Christ shows up, he, he reminds us, he tells us, he encourages us that that his presence is going with us, and all of the power and resource of all of the universe is mobilized on our behalf. When we are on a mission according to the voice of the Lord, when we are obedient to God, when we are taking something from his word and incorporating it into our lives, regardless of how challenging it is, God is saying, I'm going with you. You're not really fighting. I'm not really fighting for you. You're, You're fighting for me. The battle is the Lord's. I want you to know that heaven stands ready. I'm the commander leading the battle. It's my battle. And by the way, he does intend to fight for us. But only because we're fighting his battle. We're fighting for him. It's amazing and awesome when God gives us a, a, a glimpse of some sort of divine encounter like this, where, where, where you know that you've, you've come to a situation and you know God showed up. Has that happened in your life? I'm sure it has. I'm sure there have been moments where he has taken you to one step and then taking you to the next step, and, and there's, this, there's this arrival of God that, that you can explain no other way than God showed up. And it encourages you. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's a message you hear and it's so uniquely fashioned for you. You can't explain it any other way than Rick couldn't possibly know this. Only God could know this. God is showing up. That's what he does. Every so often he does even amazing, great, powerful things that, that just tell us when we're a little bit nervous that, that he's going to go on this journey with us. It was about uh, 11, 12, 13 years ago. Uh, our church uh, in, in Chatham had come to the place where we were outgrowing our facilities and we realized that God wanted to take us on the next amazing step, the next amazing journey of, of, of expanding facilities. And, and that's always a, an unnerving time for a congregation because it's a, it's a big deal. It's, it's, it's always bigger than, than, uh, than we believe we can accomplish. And um, we had come to the place where where um, God had laid it on our hearts that, that it was one of those times where he wanted to show us how powerful he was. And he wanted to show us, in case we might have waning faith, that he could take us on an amazing journey and take us to the next level. And, and, and so it, it had been laid on our hearts that, that we should trust God for something big, something amazing. And, and it just so happened that, that it was time to put the roof on the, 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 um, the facility expansion. And, and that roof was going to cost... Um, it was, it was going to cost like $70,000, which, which wasn't, isn't a big money around here at Calvary, but it was really big money in Chatham by, for our little congregation. And I'll, I'll try to explain, and I'll, I'll put it in our kinds of dollars so we can understand. Um, what that turned out to be is 12 times a weekly offering. Okay, 12 times a week. So in, in terms of, of Calvary, that was like asking for just under half a million dollars on one gift. 
That's a big challenge. And so um, we put it to the people that the only way this challenge could possibly be met is if they would give a week's pay, which is a big challenge, which is a big thing to ask, which is a, which is a huge thing to trust God for. And, um, you know, as, as a sort of, a sort of leader of that thing, because the pastor always has to be leading, you know, I, like my knees are shaking, you know, like, whoa, God, this is too big. And God just had to say to me, like, Joshua, step aside. Like, you're not, this is, you're not leading this gig. This is not your thing. This is my thing. I'm, I'm putting my reputation on the line. This is a God thing. Well, by the end of that Sunday, which was an amazing thing, by the end of that Sunday, they gave more. They gave 13 times the regular giving on a regular week. Which would push us into the, like a half a million dollars in the offering plate on one Sunday here at Calvary. God showed up in an amazing way and reminded all of us. Because, by the way, the project itself in Calvary dollars was a $10 million project. Always looks massive. But God reminded us that by that showing up, and don't look at the height of the walls of Jericho. Don't spend your time focused and fixated on the size of the challenge and the obstacle. Heaven stands ready. God is going with you. God's power is with you. And so, um, you know, we, we realize that, that we should count on God's presence and power. But by the way, he himself intends to fight for us, but not without our involvement. And he intends to provide for us, but not without our investment. That's what the transition from manna to relying on the produce of the land was all about. You're going to have to invest in this land, and I will provide. You're going to have to go into this battle, and I will fight for you, because it's my battle. What does Joshua do as we wind up this and and conclude? What does Joshua do? He hits the sand, right? It says he falls down to the ground in reverence. That's what anyone would do when you realize that you were encountering the divine presence of God. And he worships him. And this gets us into the section, really, that is our responsibility. God is going to force you to leave some things behind. You've got to be willing to leave those things back there. It's ritual, ceremony, that's not a guaranteed faithfulness. Loyalty to Christ is it. You've got to leave behind your immature faith and move on to new levels of trust. You've got to believe that God is for you and with you and, and powerful on your behalf for his great namesake. But here's what he leaves you to do. Worship him. Fall down on your face in reverence and worship him. Get on your knees. What message, Joshua says, what message does the Lord have? for his servants. What message does he have for us here at Calvary? What's the message of the Lord? The message is get on our knees. Take off our sandals. Recognize that he is God and we are his servants. Recognize that that we come to him and we say, what what are your orders for today, Lord? What, What are your directives for this day? What's the next step you want to take me on? I'm your servant. What's your message for me? 
Come clean with God. Come filled with reverence and respect. That's what taking off the sandals is all about. Remove, that, the, remove the, the, the symbol of uncleanness in your life. Total commitment is the only logical response to a divine encounter, isn't it? Sam Shoemaker, he was an Anglican pastor, lived in a, during the range of 1893 to 1963, was in fact instrumental in founding Alcoholics Anonymous. He said this, to give as much of myself as I can. In defining commitment, he said, to give as much of myself as I can to as much of God as I know. That's what what the response ought to be when, when God reveals himself to you and and makes you aware of the fact that he wants to take you on the next leg of the journey, the next step, the next amazing opportunity for you. It's it's to give as much of myself as I can. An attitude of total submission. God is leading. And I will follow. Is that it? Well, not really. Because Joshua, if I could sort of personify him a little bit more. And I notice in chapter 6, verse 1, we're confronted with Jericho again. It's, it's as if he said, Lord, that's all great. And this is amazing. I'm on my face. It's so cool that you showed up. But can I just mention again to you something? Jericho. It, it's still there. Like, I'm looking. I'm trying not to see it. I'm trying to believe I'm trying to, but a Jericho thing is still there, Lord. That's what it says there. Now Jericho. And and by the way, it says, was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Now there are two ways of looking at this. If you're wanting to conquer the city, it just seems worse. It's now more fortified than ever. Everybody's in town. All the soldiers are there. They've locked. It's in a total lockdown. This is worse than ever, Lord. On the other hand, if you want to look with the eyes of faith, they are scared skinny. Right? They are terrified. That's why it's locked down. It's, it, it's an emphasis on how locked up it is. So he's saying, now, now Lord, this this one more thing. Can I talk to you about Jericho again? Because, you know, we're afraid of fortified cities. Do you understand who we are? We're an unskilled fighting force. We, we, haven't, been, we haven't been trained in, 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 in forging against a fortress. We're, we're, um, we're children of the chickens. Remember, we're fledglings of the faithless. Do you know who we are? And the Lord says, No, you know, I, 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 I didn't realize that. You caught me by surprise here now. Maybe I, maybe I uh, ought to get somebody else. Now, the Lord basically says to him, yeah, I know that. Look what he says. Then the Lord says to Joshua, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. Joshua, I knew you people couldn't do this. I already know that. I already know you can't meet this challenge. I already know you can't defeat this obstacle. I already know that you are children of the chickens and fledglings of the faithless. I know who you are. That's why I'm doing it for you. 
Here's all I want you to do. Do what I tell you to do. So where do you see that? Well, look it. All I want you to do is march around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpet, have all the people give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and all the people will go up, every man straight in. That's your battle plan? Can I run that by a few of my generals? I'm not thinking they're going to think that's really a great idea. Can you imagine, of all the generals that have ever lived all through history and have ever engaged in war, if we as God's people brought this plan to them and said, this is the plan. We're just going to march around the city that we're taking. Then we're going to blow some trumpets and shout. And we're winning this thing. Like, What? The Lord said, I know you can't do it, so I'm going to do it for you. But you must do exactly what my voice says you are to do. That's how the deal works for all of us, for all time. That's how it works. He knows that the obstacle that's before you has been hammering on you for so long. He knows that challenge that you're facing is too big for you to to win. That's why he's saying, I'm, I'm defeating it myself. I'll take, I'll take this battle myself. All I want you to do, unlike the faithlessness of your parents, the generation before you, is listen to my voice precisely, and it'll be yours. Now, where do we get his voice? Right there. He's still speaking to us. A commitment to God's directions. Just do what I tell you to do. We need divine directions because he's the one who's running the battle. He's the one running the program. We need divine directions because they regularly, and they regularly often defy human logic. Divine directions demand faith. It's a different kind of warfare that we're involved in. It's trusting what we can't see. Hoping for what we're sure Divine directions attract criticism and ridicule regularly. You're doing what? You believe that? You're going to live like that? You think God's going to help you just because you do that? Yeah. I'm listening to the voice of God. And I believe that he'll take this obstacle away. He'll mutilate this challenge. And he'll move me to the next amazing step in my life. After I get on my knees, I go big. Not because we're big, not because we have big ideas, but because the battle is the Lord's, and he's already delivered us. All he wants us to do is be people who are meticulously and explicitly obedient to his voice. That's it. Do exactly what he tells you to do. Worship him. Father, thank you for opening up Joshua's memoirs to us, letting us peer in there and see something amazing, see what you did, and what you are doing presently. 
I pray, Father, that we will be a church that wants to matter, not for our own sakes, but because you want us to, for your great name's sake, that the people outside of faith might see the power of God and perhaps be attracted, and that those inside, because we're all children of chickens and we're all fledglings of faithless, because that's who we are, that we might all learn step by step what it is to really trust God, to really fear Him alone. Because that ups the level of the amazing steps you can take us on. We want to go big, Lord. Because you're big. For your glory's sake, I pray. Amen. We know that our Savior, the commander, the supreme commander of the Lord of hosts, wants his church to move forward victoriously. But... And he wants us individually to know what it is to experience the next steps of victory in our lives. Always to move past the challenges and obstacles. But there are some things that have to take place. You have to leave behind pretend loyalties. If you're relying on ritual and ceremony instead of the voice of the Lord, you can't move forward in the next steps. That's imperative. You've got to move past your immature faith to whereby you're maybe depending on the flesh and and rely on the Spirit of God to do amazing things in your life and through your life. You've got to believe that the power of God and His presence goes with you. He is the commander. He's the, the battle chief. The battle is the Lord's. And then we have to be committed to be people who recognize who He is, worship Him in reverence, submit ourselves fully to Him, And be willing to go forward wherever he tells us to go. When he offers us a message from his voice, all he's asking us to do is listen to it and obey it. He's already got the victory for us. But he's not going to give us the victory unless we invest ourselves and participate in the moving forward through our worship and our obedience. That's the win strategy for going forward. Oh, church, arise. Father, thank you. Thank you for entrusting this to us, this great insight. You're an amazing God, a great God. Help us not to, to um, leave this behind, to uh, reduce its effect in our lives, to forget about it. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit of God would enact this in our lives right now, right today. Those challenges, those obstacles, that we might move forward to the next step that God has for us. For I pray this in Jesus' name.